Neve's solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neve's includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neve's solicitors, your complete legal solution. Welcome to The Parent Show on Radio Verilla 92.6 FM. I'm Cathy Weston. And I'm Shirley Heyman. And, well, a word of warning to all Radio Verilla listeners, if you do not want an hour-long, uh, lots of information about the menopause, coping with the menopause, how to manage symptoms, all that stuff, tune off now. Just switch <laughs> off. That's my advice. For the rest of you, we've got an action-packed information show with the best possible experts is not right Shirley definitely who've we got we have got back with us Dr Andrew Hextel who I believe is a slight celebrity around these uh, woods he's very well known seems to be <laughs> many's a woman has come across his path <laughs> so Andrew you did a show with us before you're very welcome back the last show was on what was it on again we were mainly talking about bladder problems and uh, problems oh, with the vagina yes. such as as prolapse yeah, so we covered all of that. We're just here to serve the population of Hertfordshire with all their womanly problems. But tonight's show, I think it's probably going to be... It's, we've had lots of interest in it, Andrew, because the menopause is something very rarely spoken about, I would say, Shirley. It's kind of just brushed off. And yet, I mean, certainly there's so many people that I know who are really suffering, you mm. know, at night time with sweats. It seems to be quite common, lots of hot flushes. You know, you might be in a meeting with someone... And suddenly they'll say, oh, I'm so hot. I'm sorry, you know. And it just seems to be something I've noticed a little bit more. Um, what about you, Shirley? Do you think that it's little, little talked about? Yeah, and I, I agree with you, Cathy, that, you know, I've been in meetings with people when suddenly a woman's gone bright red and you think they're embarrassed. And actually she'll say to you after, oh, I'm sorry, I was having a hot flush. Now, at my age now, I can say, please don't say sorry, because I know exactly what you're talking about. But that's what my first question for you, Andrew, actually, is, is there an age that's typical or is it so, you know, individual for each woman? Well, for most people, the menopause occurs about the age of 50. And that's when uh, the ovaries run out of eggs and patients stop, um, or, or not patients, but women stop ovulating. So they, um, they don't have periods and then at the same time they get many of the symptoms you're talking about. So they might get uh, flushes and sweats, they have difficulty sleeping, they just feel generally tired and, uh, and they just feel awful. And that not only affects them but can affect their, their families and the way they function work as well so although it's a sort of natural process uh, there are lots of different treatments available now and um hopefully we're going to talk about that over yeah, the next we'll hour or so come on i want to start stop again at the hot flushes what's actually happening when these women have those flushes and turn red and feel like that in their body well it's not just in their mind there have been some studies actually measuring the skin temperature of patients or ladies, um, when they have a flush, and it does rise, they, they, uh, the blood vessels in the skin dilate a little bit, and, um, and then you get a, generally a flush on the upper body and the face. But it can um, be associated with some sweating as well. And as they're occurring during the night, it uh, influences the sleep. But what, what's the sort of biological function, if you like, of the hot flush? What purpose does it serve? No one's quite sure about that. They're not quite sure how it directly um, occurs. It's not just in women, actually. Some men also get flushes when they've had, um, had treatment for prostate cancer and so on, uh, chemotherapy. We're, we're, not, we're not quite sure what's, uh, what's happening. So it's kind of linked to something to do with the hormones and ageing of some, some description. It's prob probably hormones, but not, not just hormones. It may be effect on the nerves and the blood vessels and so on. 
Okay. And Shirley, I wanted to ask a basic question about the menopause, the word. It's a very odd word, isn't it? Mm. You know, I think menstrual, menstruation, we know that kind of terminology. But what does menopause actually mean? Well, it actually comes from from Greek language. So uh, menos is month and pause is to stop. So adding them together is called the menopause. It does seem really simple. (laughs) I should have been able to work that out. I mean, people have known about it for a long while, actually. It was... um, uh, it was well described in ancient Roman times, and Aristotle also uh, described it in his writings. And even then, you know, many centuries ago, it did occur at the age of 50, but um, not many people actually made it to the age of 50. In Roman times, a lot of people died in their early 20s, and in the late 19th century, um, only about one in three people survived the menopause, so it wasn't such a big problem then. Obviously, with increased life expectancy, uh, the loads of people go through the menopause and many years beyond. So the average lady now will spend about a third of their life um, after menopause and they have lower estrogen levels and the effect that has on not only the flushes and sweats uh, but also uh, different parts of the body like the, the heart and the bones and so on. Andrew, is there any link between when you start your periods for a woman and when menopause will kick in or not? No, it doesn't really seem to make any difference if you, have, um, uh, if you start your periods early or late. Uh, you probably still have the menopause about the same time. In fact, that's pre-programmed uh, when, you're, when you're conceived and when you're growing your mother's womb. You have a certain number of eggs in your own ov- ovaries and you start to use those eggs when you, when you go um, uh, through puberty and start having periods. And each month you use a, a few of those eggs up. And at the menopause, you, you basically run out of eggs. So you no longer release an egg or ovulate. Uh, your hormone levels uh, drop. You stop having periods and then you get these flushes we keep talking about. So what about these women we hear, um, you know, in the media who have had babies aged late 40s into 50s? Have they probably had menopause and, uh, you know, how does that, how does that work? No, in fact, um, you can still fall pregnant um, up until the age of the menopause when you run out of eggs. I mean, a lot of ladies in the late 40s will still be having regular periods. So if you have a period every four weeks or so, you're probably ovulating, and that means you're fertile. So you might think you're safe and don't need contraception in your late 40s, but in fact you do. Uh, we recommend that you use contraception until you've gone a whole year without a period. Okay. And, Andrew, for, um, is there any pattern between women who experience the menopause way worse than other women do we know anything about the characteristics of that kind of group of women who really feel it a lot worse than others we're not quite sure why some people suffer more than others i mean you're right some people just fly through it and they, they don't even notice that they're going through the menopause their, their periods just stop and they, they just feel well in themselves whereas have a terrible time and they, they can suffer for many years in fact some people can have flushes for more than 10 years before they they stop and in other patients they still have them uh, mildly when they're in the 60s and 70s Yes, so I was going to ask, do these hot flushes continue till you're 95? Well, I've not had as many 95-year-olds where they're still having flushes, but I guess, <laughs> I guess they can, yeah, way, way beyond the menopause itself. Is there any um, pattern for a, a particular woman when she has hot flushes? So some people always have them at night, first thing in the morning, or is it completely unpredictable? Do you know? Uh, it's completely unpredictable, and that's, that's why it's distressing for some people. They're feeling fine one minute, and then all of a sudden they come, up with, uh, come over with a flush, uh, they, they feel unwell. I mean, they might be in a, in a business meeting or doing something with the family. 
and they just have to sort of open the windows or, or get a fan out or, or put a cold flannel over themselves. Mm. So for people who come along to your practice, Andrew, we should have said earlier, actually, you did two and a half years of research into the effects of oestrogen and the menopause um, with a very famous professor down in London. And also you're on the editorial board of a whole journal. Can you believe this, Shirley? There's a whole journal on the menopause. <laughs> that must make great reading. <laughs> it's, a, it's a menopause and ageing, actually. Yeah, so. menopause and ageing. So what can you tell us about the people who come along to see you? What are they typically suffering from? It can't just be hot flushes well i think the first thing to say is that most people just go through the menopause and they and they cope they they put it with their flushes and sweats and over time the symptoms do seem to improve it's generally when your estrogen levels are falling to a lower level that you have the uh, the problems and once your body gets used to the lower levels uh, then you feel better um some some people will actually have taken matters into their own hands and gone to boots or, or a health shop and just tried some simple remedies which you can buy over the counter uh, often there's sort of food supplements which contain some soya. Soya's got a little bit of oestrogen in it, and that can boost your levels and make you feel a little bit better. Um, if that hasn't worked, then, then ladies will probably go to see their GP. And GPs are really good these days. Most GPs will be able to uh, offer simple advice about the menopause and, and perhaps start HRT. It's only really the, the difficult patients who actually come to uh, see a consultant gynaecologist. I don't mean they're a difficult personality, but they've got a difficult problem that uh, the GPs find it hard to, to, to resolve. So why do I hear so many women advising me not to do HRT? Well, because every time you open the newspaper, uh, there's different scare stories about HRT. But there are many, many benefits of HRT, not in, in the way... Uh, people feel, but also protecting their bones and uh, just making them feel feel better, generally better themselves. Increase energy levels, you sleep better. It might improve your libido. You might you know, want to have intercourse more often, and so on. But the papers don't really like to talk about the good things. There's different scare stories, aren't there, in the papers? Yeah. That's what sells uh, sells the news. And the relationship between HRT and breast cancer, it's exactly. It really reminds me of the you know the scare over autism and the MMR vaccine that people just put this link together when actually the research says, doesn't it, Andrew, that you're not at an increased rate or are you of having breast cancer following HRT? Well, I'd like to reassure people that are on HRT that they're not suddenly going to get breast cancer. I mean, we're talking about the effects of HRT over a five or ten year period, which might slightly influence the risk of breast cancer. So the, the risk is actually quite low. If, if you follow a thousand normal ladies, not on any hormones, for five years, about 22 of them will get cancer. Uh, and if you then you take uh, HRT, an extra five will, will get it over five years. So the risk goes up from 22 in a thousand to 27 in a thousand. So it's still pretty low, pretty low risk. And of course, breast cancer is not just caused by HRT. It's, um, there's your genetics, you know, whether it runs in the family, what your lifestyle is like whether you smoke, overweight, don't you exercise, uh, whether you're drinking alcohol, all these other factors come into play. So it is a bit confusing sometimes the literature, but if it does increase the risk, it's, it's very, very slight. Okay, so, so if you have breast cancer in your family, um, it's not you know, more risky, is it, than if you have HRT that you would get it? Is there any link there? Well, the... Not not all breast cancer is genetic. Sometimes it occurs oh, by okay. chance, but other people, it runs in the family. Um, the situation is a bit complicated, so it's probably good to go and see your GP and just okay. sort of talk through the pros and cons. I mean, you may not be that keen to take HRT, but if you're really suffering with the flushes and sweats and, and not sleeping well, 
you, you might have tried the simple herbal remedies, but it comes to a point where you just actually need it to, to feel better. And, and lots of people actually accept the small risks uh, of the HRT. I suppose it depends on how badly you're suffering from the symptoms. Yes, I mean, not many people would want to take it if they didn't have any, any symptoms, any problems at all. So the majority of people going on it have actually been uh, suffering for a while and just can't really cope without it. Just while we're talking about breast cancer, I should say that if you've had a, uh, had a hysterectomy, had your womb removed, you only need to have oestrogen alone. And oestrogen alone HRT has never been shown to increase the risk of breast problems. In fact, it might actually reduce your risk of breast cancer a little bit. But if you've still got a womb, you need a combination of oestrogen and progesterone. And that's the one that, where you get all the scare stories. You need the progesterone because if you just have oestrogen on its own, it can stimulate the lining of the womb to grow. And then you get some uh, irregular bleeding down below. Okay. Uh, what about the coil? People have asked about the contraceptive coil and the menopause. What's the relationship between, you know, having the coil and um, uh, the effect of hormones sort of drifting into your body from that and the menopause? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I think he's talking about um, a form of contraceptive coil called the marina coil. So that stops you getting pregnant, but it also releases a small amount of progesterone hormone on the lining of the womb. It's, it's a popular treatment for heavy periods and it can work so well that actually over six months it stops you having periods altogether. And if you're not having periods, you're not quite sure whether you're going to the menopause or not. So some people enter the menopause will find that the periods get uh, further and further apart and then they stop. But of course, if you're not having any periods because of the marina, it can be less certain uh, about when you're entering the, entering the change. Um, Andrew, I've got several friends who you know look much younger than they are. <laughs> I guess sometimes with the help of other things, but um, a, a few of them recently have suddenly said, you know, I didn't realise, actually, I've gone into menopause. I went to see the doctor and he said, you're in your menopause and it just didn't occur to them. Is this quite a common thing now? Because we kind of think that we're younger than our bodies are. Well, I guess uh, 50 is a new 40, isn't it? Yeah. So everyone is, is feeling, uh, well, hopefully feeling younger, keeping more yeah. active. But you can't really help what's going on inside you. You can't really influence uh, when your ovaries are going to run out of eggs. Um, it doesn't, it's not affected by um, uh, what job you do, what you're eating, whether you go to the gym, how much alcohol you, you, you drink. So you may look good on the outside, but your ovaries are still gradually using up those eggs and eventually they're going to run out of them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I wanted to ask about uh, alcohol, actually. You just mentioned that. When you are taking any of those herbal remedies for the menopause or HRT, are there any kind of, you know, can alcohol disrupt the beneficial effect of any of those things? Well, probably not. I mean, alcohol's fine in, in moderation, isn't it? But um, it probably doesn't interact with, the, with the, the herbal remedies. But if you are taking one of those preparations, which you might have bought from the health shop or from, from your local chemist, you probably should mention that to your GP, uh, particularly if you're on other medications, because it can interact with some of the other drugs and, and you can get side effects as a consequence. But there isn't really a direct uh, relation with alcohol, I don't think. I love asking this question. If you were going through the menopause, Andrew, if you were a woman, what would you be taking what herbal remedies would you think are quite are quite beneficial and useful well as i mentioned any food containing soya is pretty good but the common ones are uh, black cohosh uh, red clover uh, there's one called pine bark supplement um, you've probably also heard of evening primrose oil which people take when they've got pmt uh, that's premenstrual tension so uh, if they have a change in their mood before a period um, evening primrose can help some patients 
And again, this sort of, um, God knows everybody has this, when you have surges of rage <laughs> before your period, you know, what's the purpose of that? Why does that happen? Is it just because of a spike in, in one of those hormones that it causes that? Yes, it's actually due to a, a rise in progesterone hormone. Um, so when you have a period, in the, in the first two weeks after a period, uh, you've mainly got estrogen hormone in your body, you feel pretty good. And then halfway through the month, you, you ovulate or release an egg, and that increases your progesterone hormone levels. So a lot of people don't feel very well in themselves at coming up to a period. They, uh, they, they, their mood uh, will, will be different, they might feel a bit more irritable. Uh, a little depressed perhaps and then when they come on a period and start bleeding they get a great relief it's almost like um, a heavy cloud's been lifted and, and they feel much better in themselves so evening primrose oil, primrose oil what effect does that have on the body we're not quite sure how that works um, to be honest people also tried uh, vitamin b6 uh, you can try some dietary modification perhaps cutting out uh, coffee chocolate you can look at your diary and know when the uh, the periods like to be and you can plan in some exercise that can help some patients coffee and chocolate's the only way i get through it isn't that right yeah, <laughs> i'm not cutting that out <laughs> you're not mentioning uh, the alcohol suggestion <laughs> yeah i think we're going to have a little break um give andrew a rest his lungs a rest and come back to you with more juicy detail on how to survive the menopause Andrew, can we just say, um, I mean, there, there's other symptoms, aren't there, obviously, apart from um, the ones we've been talking about, you know, the hot flushes. But one thing Cathy and I wanted to know is, um, you know, are there, are there different types of HRT tablets? Um, or is it, a, you know, what is HRT anyway? What's it made up of? Well, HRT is... Um hormone replacement therapy so basically you're replacing the hormones which your body are no longer producing uh, and in general terms we're, we're giving you estrogen to, to try and make you feel better as i mentioned earlier if you've still got a womb we have to give you progesterone hormone as well but that's just to stop the lining of the womb thickening up but it's the it's the estrogen replacement that um that uh, we, we like to prescribe and 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 uh, the woman's taking that as um you know, a pill. Well, there's several different ways you can take it. In fact, um, the, the most common way is by taking a tablet, which you take most days. Uh, but you can also have a skin patch. Uh, there's okay. a gel which you you, um, you rub onto your arm or, or your tummy. And there's there's actually a vaginal cream as well, which you use if you're having vaginal problems, which are quite common after the menopause. Does that link in, I guess, with some women? You know, you, or do all women have a sort of drop in their libido? They, you know, you feel less like wanting to have intercourse. Yeah, probably it's just a natural process, really, because uh, when you're having regular periods, you, your body sort of makes you want to have intercourse because uh, the, the body wants you to get pregnant uh, so you can have further children. It's a natural thing. But when, when you're no longer ovulating and releasing egg, uh, you don't have that sort of natural desire. Of course, people are getting a bit older, um, uh, they've, got, they've got busy lives and so on. Um, I think a lot of people have uh, intercourse less often in their 50s. So the cream is potentially, you know, some, a, a way to help that or not? Well, it, it can help because um, sometime after the menopause, when you've been living with their estrogen levels for a while, the vagina can become a little bit uncomfortable. And when, when you're having intercourse, you get less moisture. The mm. uh, vagina can feel a bit dry. So if intercourse is uncomfortable, it's bound to put you off. Uh, I think previously we talked about using vaginal lubricants. Uh, I think we recommended uh, Silk, S-Y-L-K, or there's one called Yes, Y-E-S, exclamation uh, mark. They can help, but actually giving estrogen cream or an estrogen tablet 
directly into the vagina can improve the skin, uh, improve the moisture and make intercourse more comfortable. And if it's more comfortable, I guess you're more likely to want to have intercourse then. So, Andrew, you said you're the, uh, on the editorial board of the journal to do with menopause and ageing. What are the kind of, like, topics that are, you know, doctors like you are interested in as sort of researchers? Like, what are the sort of innovations in the menopause that might be quite interesting to follow? Well, we, we've talked about the short-term effects uh, of, um, of lack of estrogen on the flushes and sweats, but as I mentioned there, you're, you're, um, you're living about a third of your life with, with a lower estrogen level. And that has an effect on, uh, on your bones. You can get bone thinning, effect on the vagina. There's controversy whether it affects your, your heart, uh, affects with the brain, whether it influences your risk of Alzheimer's and so on. So we, we get people doing different research projects looking at those, those different areas. And it sounds like, from what you say, all of those interventions like HRT and all the creams and things that you've mentioned are really, you sound like you're a big fan of them on the whole. Well, I think most doctors will be, be a fan of them because they can see how, um, how good they are, uh, what a positive effect they have on patients' lives. They, they come along and see you feeling absolutely dreadful. They've often been suffering for many months before they've actually got to see you. Uh, you give them uh, HRC and HRT, you see them one or two months later and they're, they're a different person. Uh, and that's lovely, isn't it? Because we wouldn't ever, you know, we'd never come across that. But you, when you're in your practice, you've seen the before and after, and you know that I've heard as well uh, that HRT can be amazingly transformative for people. Yeah, they feel much better. And then they, they read something in the, in the paper about a breast care, and, and they'll come and see you, um, not so much distressed about the risk of, of breast cancer, but, but they're worried that the, the GP or yourself might take them off the HRT, and they'll go back to feeling how they were before oh, with the really? flushes and sweat. So, yeah. Many people, once they've started, they actually want to continue with it for, uh, for, for a long time. And is there sort of a maximum age? Would you put an elderly person on HRT or is there, is it, you know, is there an optimal age to take it? Well, generally speaking, we would, um, we would give it you know, around the time of the menopause, around the age of 50 or shortly afterwards, when people are having menopausal symptoms. If they come and see you sort of five or ten years later, uh, perhaps with concerns about their bones thinning, uh, that's one of the side effects of, of, of menopause and lack of estrogen. Well, there are good alternatives to HRT rather than putting people on hormones. Uh, for example, there are some tablets which you just take once a week uh, to buy in calcium into your bones and keep the bones stronger. Uh, there's some other uh, lifestyle modifications. You can look at your diet, you can go to the gym, do a bit more exercise, um, avoid smoking and so on. Those are good alternatives to hormone replacement therapy. So the vast majority of people will start it around the age of 50 or, or just beyond that. And for the tablets you just mentioned for the bones, can you get those from the chemist or you have to get them from your GP? Uh, they would have to be prescribed by the GP. Okay. Um, they, they, they would look at a number of different factors uh, when, when deciding on that. Uh, for example, your lifestyle, as I mentioned, your diet, uh, whether that runs in the family, if bone thinning runs in the family. And they might also organise some tests. You can have uh, a bone density scan and they would look at your, uh, your wrist, um, your, your hips and your spine to see whether there's any sign of bone thinning. Uh, there is a, a stage called osteopenia where you get a slight thinning and then when it, be it goes beyond a slight thinning to a more significant thinning, it's called osteoporosis. And if you've got thin bones, that makes you at risk of getting fractures. So uh, if you fall over, you're more likely to fracture your wrist or fracture your hip. Uh, it's a big uh, cause of hospital admission, a uh, big cause of death actually in the elderly. So if we can try and prevent that by keeping the bones strong, it's got to be a good thing. And is that just a calcium-rich diet that's preventing us getting osteoporosis 
you know, if you drink milk and eat cheese and yogurts, and is that enough to stop getting osteoporosis? Yes, it, it, it is. I mean, most most people have um, a diet containing milk, cheese, other dairy products. Um, it's also in, with soya uh, that I mentioned earlier, nuts. There's a variety of different food sources which contain calcium. And if you've got a, a normal balanced diet, you'll probably be having enough. It's not very likely that you'll need to have extra calcium. Would you be recommending, then, we've mentioned soya quite a lot, that we should all be drinking soya milk with our cereal in the morning and in our coffees? And Well, I'm not sure I'd recommend that, but people around the sort of Pacific Islands, they've, they've got a higher... Um, level of soya in the diet and it's thought that reduces their risk of having heart disease heart attacks um, they have fewer menopausal symptoms uh, their bones are better they live longer um, so i'm not sure i'd tell the whole population or everyone in st albans to go out tomorrow and buy some soya but it but it might be of some benefit for, for menopausal also, patients would you recommend kind of experimenting yourself with these different kind of things per month and seeing how you feel and then going to the gp or going to the gp and saying what do you think should I make these Well, it's probably worth giving it a try. Yeah. Uh, because as I mentioned, once you go on the HRT, you, you, you might find it hard to come off it. So it's probably better with just see how, um, how you can cope with your symptoms naturally, because they probably will get better over a few weeks or a few months for most people. If that doesn't work, you could try the simple herbal remedies we're mentioning. And, but if it's really unbearable, then please see your GP. Don't just suffer at home. Okay. Now, I think we need to take a little sponsorship break um, now, and we'll come back and talk about what you can do to prevent uh, suffering in the menopause if you're in your 30s and 40s. So what preventative things can younger women, women do to make things better a little bit later on? See you shortly. had a question before we uh, just went to the break there and we had a surprising answer because we checked it out with andrew kathy go on ask it so i said if you're in your 40s early 40s like me and you haven't hit the big m yet what can i be doing to prevent the onslaught that might be to come and all those hot flushes in my early 50s and i'm sadly listeners the answer was well, to be honest, there isn't really very much you can do. Yeah. As I mentioned, you're, you're pre-programmed. You're, you're going to run out of eggs at some point, And we're not quite sure whether you're just going to fly through the menopause or you, whether you're going to suffer. And there's nothing really you can do to, to prepare for that moment. Obviously, um, having a healthy lifestyle, um, not drinking too much, not smoking, uh, we're good for your general health, but it won't really affect uh, whether you get flushes and sweats. Now, we were talking about the benefits, weren't we, Shirley, and the downsides of HRT. It sounded, from what you said, the benefits in your experience outweigh any risk at all. Um, that's what I took from it um, to patients. But what, what did you say, Andrew, in the break about the, sort of the benefits in relation to things like Alzheimer's later on and brain diseases like that? Yeah, I don't think it's just my opinion that the benefits outweigh the risks. There have been lots of scientific studies. And there's this body called NICE, which you often read about in the, in the papers. Uh, they're they're the, uh, the body, the government body, which approve new drugs or treatments and so on. They say that the benefits of hormone replacement therapy far outweigh the risks. I mean, there are some downsides. I'm not, I'm not um, uh, going to deny that. Uh, some people will actually go on HRT and, and they will start having periods again when they, they might have gone a few months without them, uh, which can be a little bit troublesome. If you're more than uh, a year or two past the menopause, we can actually give you a form of HRT where you don't have any periods 
or we can give you an oestrogen tablet or patch and put the marina coil in which we uh, mentioned earlier in the program that can stop you having bleeding but for most people going on hrt they will probably have some periods for a little while at least and any link between taking hrt then and not having sort of i don't know uh things you know go wrong with your brain so we talk a lot of, um, sadly about brain tumors on this this show well, there's, there's absolutely no evidence at all that hrt causes brain tumors right um i mean i think uh, hormones do affect the brain we, we mentioned that earlier in relation to to pmt so when you get these changes throughout the month it does affect your brain the way you feel uh, but having hrt unfortunately hasn't been shown to influence the risk of uh, alzheimer's and if you're getting alzheimer's going on estrogen doesn't really seem to to slow it down unfortunately at the moment okay 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 so have we got any, i think well we've taken up 40 you know 40 minutes of your time andre which is great and we always say if people want to contact you we've met many people around town who've already been to see you but if they want to go and speak to you and be a patient how do they get in touch with you uh, well i'm pleased to say we've got very good local services uh, in west hertfordshire so i do clinics at um, hemel hempstead hospital st albans uh, city hospital and I also go to watford general hospital as well so you do all the rounds and all the hospitals? Uh, yes, that's right. I go to Spire Harpen and Spire Bushy, but uh, most of my practice is on the NHS. Yeah, um, so people can just speak to their GP and they would refer them to, to you? Yes, I'm afraid you have to go through the GP yeah. to uh, get to see a consultant these days. And, th and that's, that's um, important, really, because the GPs in the local area are very good. And I say they see the vast majority of patients with menopausal symptoms, and they're very skilled and very good at giving advice regarding hormone replacement therapy. Yeah, so they're kind of the gatekeepers to you, but they're, re they're not sort of dismissing women. So women shouldn't feel that they would be dismissed if they go along to the GP. They'll be heard. No, far from it. They're there to, to help and they're very well educated. We often give lectures and, and give support to the GPs. And uh, they can treat, I would say, 90% of people uh, without having to refer to the hospital. Andrew, let's finish on a cheery note, maybe, hopefully. How do we know when we're through the menopause and, you know, that's it, it's done? Well, I guess you can breathe a sigh of relief when you've, when you've gone a whole year without a period. That's when you're officially through the menopause. Really? After one year? That's the, oh. the textbook definition. Oh, I thought it was like years. Mm. Well, of course, that's, you, you say you've gone through the menopause when you've gone a whole year without a period, but I'm afraid you might still be having the flushes and sweats and you've still got the lower estrogen levels. But if we want to end on the positive note, we have now got the HRT, the hormone replacement therapy, which the generations before us didn't really have, and they had to suffer in silence for many years. Okay. So we're all better off. Well, thank you very much for joining yeah, us, Dr. Andrew Hextel. And hopefully it won't be the last time he's back on The Parents Show. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you very much for having me. Believe it or not, we are not done this evening because we have another fabulous guest, uh, hopefully on the line, and that's Dr. Roquette. Are you there? I am. Hi. Hi. Can you hear us okay? I can hear you well. Can you hear me? Yes, just about, just about. I'm just going to turn my volume up on my mic. There we go. Now, thank Great. you so much for joining us, Dr. Roquette. No problem. Um, I've actually heard about you because lots of mums that I know have already been to you and are raving about how much you've helped them through um, hormonal difficulties or menopause. So that's why we got you on the show tonight. Oh, well, thank you. That's lovely to hear. And can you tell us, I think you're, an in, you're what's called an integrative medicine doctor specialising in hormone balance. So tell us a little bit about your practice, which is based in Burko, in Berkhamsted. Uh, sure. So I'm uh, a GP. Uh, I still do some NHS work, but I also have an integrative medical practice. So what that means is that um, I will look at everything that your GP looks at, 
But I will also consider um, alternative therapies, um, you know, Eastern therapies, look at lifestyle, nutrition, exercise, because all those things have a massive impact on our health. Um, and the reason I got interested in hormone balance to begin with is because I was doing all of that and I was, um, you know, speaking with my patients, giving them advice on what to do with their nutrition, their lifestyles, maybe bringing in some other therapies. And they told me that they were doing all those things but still not feeling an improvement. And I wasn't sure how that could be if they were actually doing all those things that we discussed. And then I learned about the importance of hormone balance. So the way that I look at hormones is that they're the foundation for your health. And if you have shaky foundations, you can all have the, the best bricks and, um, in the world. And, you know, your bricks can be your nutrition, your exercise your lifestyle, the supplements you take. But if those foundations are shaky, it's very hard for those bricks to build a good house. So that's why I can see how important hormone, hormone optimization is. Oh, I like that term, hormone optimization. It sounds brilliant. And if somebody comes along to your practice, what typically happens in, say, a first session? Uh, so we spend quite a long time together, between 45 minutes and an hour, uh, which is a lot longer than you might have with your normal GP. And um, we really go in deep into the symptoms that are happening, um, the way it's affecting your life. Uh, I find out a lot about the people uh, who are in front of me, you know, their lifestyle, their social life, uh, who lives at home with them, their careers, their jobs, uh, their children, um, looking at their nutrition, their exercise, if they take any supplements, uh, and really build the picture from there. Um, as to what sort of testing and investigations they might need. Um, based on the information they've given me, we then carry out the appropriate testing, if any are needed, um, and then we um, go on to build a plan that involves balancing hormones, sometimes taking some supplements, um, also looking at where we can tighten up things with exercise and nutrition, and look at any other systems that are out of balance, because quite often we, you know, we might put everything down to our, our female hormones, and that's the reason we don't feel well. But there could be other things going on in the system, like the thyroid could be out of balance, or perhaps um, there's a problem with iron or B12. And by balancing all those things together, you then achieve optimum health, not by only focusing purely on hormones, which are very important, but not the only thing that we should look at. So does the patient then go away and do all the thing you know potentially a little bit more exercise cut out i don't know chocolate and coffee andrew was mentioning and come back and see you after a month or what what happens after you've given that first consultation well generally um i suggest a review in maybe six to eight weeks because if i'm going to prescribe hormones they might take that long to fully kick in um, so I would want to see my, my patient in about six to eight weeks, or of course sooner if there was any sort of problem or if they felt that things weren't going in the direction they, they want them to go in. And could you give us an example of maybe someone you've treated, you know, fairly recently and how you've seen a big change in that woman? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I saw a lady just this evening um, before I left my clinic who um, she had been um, feeling really unwell with her flushes, um, she was really fatigued, her sleep was quite poor, um, a lot of sort of bloating and digestive issues. So I checked all her hormone levels and confirmed that she was in menopause um, and that it would be beneficial to take um, some hormone treatments. But as well as that, I also looked at her diet. Um, we removed, um, she was having a very sort of carb-heavy diet, kind of having bread with um, every meal, 
um, having an additional sugar. Um, and we kind of cut back on that massively. And I reviewed her today, just three weeks later, um, uh, because she was coming in for a different reason, so she thought she'd see me at the same time. Mm. And the flushes have almost completely gone. Her sleep has massively improved. Uh, because of that, her head feels less foggy, and she can focus and concentrate at work. Um, because of all those things, her mood's a bit better, so that's great. Yeah. Um, and she's also changed her diet quite a lot and taken out a lot of the bread, added in some probiotics and digestive enzymes. And overall, in only three weeks, I was really pleased she's seen such a, a good difference already. So I was really happy about that. Do you work with men as well or just women? I do, yes. I see men. So men go through their own version of, of the menopause. It's a bit less dramatic because their hormones don't uh, drop as much as a, a woman's does in menopause, uh, you know, the andropause. And I see men for testosterone balancing, which is very important for their energy, their mood, um, their um, uh, sex drive as well, maintaining muscle mass. Um, and all those things are very important for men as well, especially, you know, if you're feeling like you're in a busy job, you've got a lot to do. It's really important to give the, uh, keep the hormones optimum. But like I said, always in the context of, um, also balancing the healthy lifestyle with exercise and nutrition and managing your stress. I feel that they're always key as well. That's really interesting because I'd never thought about that for men. So in some ways, maybe a couple coming to see you could be very beneficial for the for the relationship. Yeah, well, what has happened a lot is that sometimes I've seen um, the woman and she felt so much better. A few months later, she dragged her husband along as yeah. well and said, oh, I know there's something going on with him now and we need to sort him out too. So I quite often see... Uh, uh, both sides of the relationship there. And what would be the youngest sort of woman that you'd see coming into your practice? Do you have teenagers who've got hormonal difficulties or painful periods or anything like that? Yes, yes I see a whole age range from, you know, late teens up until, the, you know, probably 60s. Um, and the younger women coming through can suffer from hormone imbalances like um, premenstrual syndrome, and that's often caused by a low progesterone. So that's something that I look at with them. Um, fibroids as well um, balancing hormones can help with the symptoms of fibroids and endometriosis which is becoming a, a bigger and bigger problem for women uh, it can cause very heavy and painful periods it can be very disabling for a lot of young women and they don't always want to go through um, painful surgeries or um, you know have to have anesthetics for, for things like that without trying to balance things in a more holistic way first so I do that as well um, and then I sometimes see women for polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I'm not a fertility doctor per se, but sometimes balancing hormones can help with fertility. And I've also um, seen a lot of young women for that. Did I hear you right? You just said that endometriosis is becoming more... Um, prevalent. Prevalent, yeah. It seems to be. And I don't know if that's because women are more aware of the symptoms, so they're coming forward oh, okay. more, or whether it's just becoming more prevalent. But definitely more people are presenting uh, with um, the symptoms of endometriosis and then with further investigation are shown to have that. So you're based in Berkhamsted. Does that mean um, only people there can come to see you? Or? Well, I, I mainly see, see people in central London. Okay. Um, I do some sometimes satellite clinics, but I'm always available with uh, telephone consultations and Skype consultations as well. So I try and be as accessible as possible. So you have your own website, don't you? I do, yes. Yeah. Do, you want to, do you want to share that with people? Yes, yes. It's uh, uh, 
So um, uh, the spelling of my name is sometimes tricky. It's S-O-H-E-R-E-R-O-K-E-D. Okay, well, we'll put that on our Facebook page, certainly. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Roked. And, um, yeah, we've learned so much about the menopause this evening and uh, learned that there are lots of solutions out there and people like yourself and Andrew Hackstill, who was on earlier, who are there to alleviate all these nasty symptoms. Isn't that right, Shirley? (laughs) Definitely. So thank you so much for joining us. We'll let you go. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank Thank you. you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Well, there you go, Shirley. I think we are maxed out now on the information about the menopause. Yeah, I mean, quite a few times we just looked at each other with wide eyes, didn't we, saying, really? I think the thing is, because we never, even women amongst themselves, don't talk about the menopause. It's the one thing nobody bothers to talk about. And I think I've learnt loads of things tonight. Mm. I think, what would you take away from it, that three things, if you had to, from the show tonight? I think... For me, the first thing was, you know, that Dr. Rokehead just said about men having their own version of the menopause. The andropause. Is that what was it called? I think I heard that, yeah. Well, your husband's called Andrew, so now you can... <laughs> the andropause, you'll be able to remember that. I will. And I was thinking as well that I think HRT sounded like it has so many um, benefits that people sort of underestimate. Definitely, and I, I wouldn't even want to go to talk to a doctor, actually, because of what's been in the media. But having heard Andrew talk tonight, it reassured me somewhat, yeah, I have to say. Definitely, and he's yeah. you know he differentiated, didn't he, between different types of HRT. And there's only one that is actually linked to a slight increase in breast cancer rather than both. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. And also, um, I think the whole... I really like Dr. Rokehead's um, view as hormones as kind of the foundation of your body. Mm. I think intuitively women know that, don't they? They do, Because right. we're just sort of used to having those kinds of swing mood swings and imbalances that have so many effects on the rest of our lives and just living with it. Mm. And I know that a lot of partners and men find it very difficult, don't they, to to live with women when we're like this, up and down, unpredictable... Well, apparently there are lots of new apps available to track your, you know, your cycle if you're trying to get pregnant or even just apparently lots of men have the app on their phones so they can work out when their wife's going to have one of those nasty uh, uh, anger patches. That's very sensitive. (laughs) Very sensitive, do you think? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, thanks to all our guests this evening. Thank you very much for listening. And thanks to Andrew Hextel and Dr. Sawyer Rokehead. And see you next week on The Parent Show. Neve solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neve's includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neve Solicitors, your complete legal solution.